James chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's begin reading in verse 22. And brethren, let us hear the word of God. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James, the Lord's brother, writes to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. This probably means early Jewish Christian believers which were scattered abroad by persecution. And James' purpose is quite clear throughout his epistle. He believes that Christianity is more than a profession. It is a life. Christianity is the life of Christ miraculously worked out in the life of His dear children through the gracious power of the Holy Ghost. Saving faith shows itself in a Christ-centered life characterized by loving obedience to the God who graciously gave His Son to save us from our sins. James seems gripped with the importance of bringing his readers to see this. It's in every chapter. Throughout his epistle, he emphasizes believing the Word and doing the Word. Believing the Word and doing the Word. He drives home the point that there is an eternal difference between an empty profession of faith in Christ and a real, vibrant, living faith in the risen Savior. And in these verses, that difference is revealed in the way we use our tongues. The tongue is the measure of true Christianity. God's Spirit tells us that those who do not bridle their tongues are deceived. Now that's what James plainly tells us here. Look at what he says. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. When he speaks of religion here, he's speaking of true Christianity, faith in Christ, in union with the living, resurrected Lord, and a life manifesting that union, especially by the tongue. James 
and his epistle especially his teaching regarding the tongue could not be more profound he doesn't mince words inspired by the spirit of God he simply speaks clearly and plainly the profession of faith in Christ by those who do not bridle their tongues is vain useless and worthless according to the inspired writer one commentator by the name of R.V.G. Tasker once wrote whenever faith does not issue in love and dogma however orthodox is unrelated to life whenever Christians are tempted to settle down to a self-centered religion and become oblivious of the social and material needs of others or whenever they deny by their manner of living whenever they deny by their manner of living the creed they profess and seem more anxious to be friends of the world than friends of God then the epistle of James has something to say to them which they reject at their peril brethren that's so this is especially true when we come to the vital issue of the tongue the tongue we are created in the image of God and the God who made heaven and earth is a God who speaks he talks to us he reveals himself Genesis 1 3 declares and God said let there be light and there was light his creation talks to us his prophets talk to us his son talks to us his spirit talks to us he is a God of revelation and he makes himself known in words The Bible itself is called the inscripturated Word of God. And Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God. Word. The Word and the Word. Brethren, this whole issue of communication and the tongue is from the beginning of Scripture to the end. We have a God that speaks and we as created in His image speak God talks and if there's anything we as people do it's talking we talk in the morning good morning sweetheart did you rest well maybe some of you say what's for breakfast first I don't know we talk all day long we talk as we go to bed Good night, sweetheart. I love you. Wake me at six, please. If we were to count how many words we speak in a day, we would probably be awestruck. We have words that express virtually every emotion that surges through our hearts. When a baby is born, what's the first thing we look forward to? His first word. Mama. Dada, 
Bible. <laughs> Amen. We look forward to his talking and then his walking. And unless something happens to us physically to prevent it, we talk into the very moment we die. In fact, whole books have been written on famous last words. Brethren, we talk all the time. Millions and millions of words. If all our words were written down, how many shelves in a library would the volumes fill? And yet our words are very often not in harmony with God's words. Do we use our tongues for the purpose that God gave them? In other words, do our tongues give evidence that our faith is genuine, inspired by the Holy Spirit and saving? Or do our words, or are our words, the ultimate uh, tattletales that reveal that our religion is vain? Nothing tells on you like your words. James says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I'm going to do a few messages on the tongue but not in a series I'll do another one later on down the road this isn't the beginning of a series of consecutive Wednesdays we have some other things that I would like to do but sporadically we'll come back to this issue because it is so important and something that we need to be reminded of regularly because the tongue is the measure of true Christianity now there are other things that the scriptures point us to that speak of true and living faith there are other things that point to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. But over and over and over, the Scriptures point us to the tongue, the little member. Now, God being our helper, this will be the first of several messages down the line regarding this subject. So let's consider tonight these three heads, God willing. First, the recipients of this warning. Secondly, the subject of the warning. And finally, the objective of the warning. <clears throat> so let's consider first, for a few moments, the recipients of this warning. And let's read it again. Let's hear it. This is God's Word. This will be better than anything I say. <laughs> so let's look at this once again. Verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. The Holy Spirit here directs our thoughts first 
to the recipients of this warning. He is speaking to the hearers of the word. You see, in verse 22, he says, But be ye doers and not hearers only. He's not talking to people out on the street, brethren. He's talking to those who gather together in the local bodies that profess to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is addressing the local assemblies of scattered Jewish believers here and there who've been drawn out of their darkness into the worship of the Messiah. They've come to profess that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, Abraham's seed, David's son. And they profess by faith alone in Christ to be God's people, not trusting any longer in the Old Covenant, but trusting their righteousness to be the resurrected Lord and Savior alone. And he says, don't stop at being hearers of this good word. But be doers of the word. So he is speaking to those who gather together as professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if any man among you, this is clearly directed to those who gather to worship the Lord Jesus, and he points out to everyone that gathers in that congregation. He doesn't say, all right, now just a couple of you get a hold of your tongues. He says, if any man, if anyone, any of you that gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of you found in the body of believers, put a bridle on that tongue. He says, if any man among you seem to be, now isn't that interesting? If any man among you seem to be, why did the Holy Spirit inspire James to say that? We're people that like absolutes. We want to hear a gospel that says, if you believe, you'll be saved. We want to hear something clear, something strong, something powerful and convincing to the soul. We don't like seeing stuff when it comes to our souls. But James says, if any man among you seem, seem to be, the words translated here might be understood in two ways. It may be that because of the reality of persecution in those days, that anyone found in the worship of the Lord seemed to be religious. It cost to be a Christian in those days. Now it still does today, but especially in American comfortable Christianity, it doesn't cost much of, much of anything. What generally happens is then when the Lord regenerates someone, he gets run off as a fanatic. But in those days, it was obviously a dangerous thing to be a professing Christian. And so we could be saying now, those of you that seem to be believers, those of you that have made a profession of faith, now, in this sense, the verse would mean if any man who seems to be a Christian because he attends your worship services doesn't bridle his tongue, all his efforts are useless. They're worthless. 
On the other hand, the word translated seem might actually refer to what the man thinks of himself. In the first sense, it would be what others see him as. But in this sense, it would be what the man thinks about himself. Many modern translations reflect this. And in this case, the verse would mean, If any man among you, any man among you thinks himself to be religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, his attending the worship of God is useless. Either way, the outcome is the same. And what we must not miss is that there are those that we may look at that seem to be believers. And yet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James tells us things that we may see that plainly reveal that they are not what they seem to be. And it is the tongue in this context. On the other hand, there are those who are self-deceived. And I think this is probably the context. Because it does say in verse 26, deceiving his own heart. If any man professes to be a doer of the word, excuse me, if any man be a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face. And then there in verse 26 he says, if any man among you seem to be, seem to be religious, seem to be a Christian, seem to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, seem to be one who has repented of his sins, and is following after Christ. He's saying that there's something that you and I need to consider about ourselves. If we do not bridle our tongues, we are deceived. You can talk your experiences, you can talk about your dreams and revelations, but your tongue will ultimately display what your heart is. If any man seemed to be religious, the word translated religion refers generally to outward forms of worship. So these words are directed to those who attend the worship of the Most High God and are found among those who are taking part in religious services, the worship of Christ. Robert Johnstone translates the verse this way. If any man among you think himself to be observant of religious service, whilst at the same time bridling not his tongue, but deceiving his own heart, that man's religious service is vain. In other words, it doesn't matter that your body is warming the pew. If, in fact, your tongue declares your presence a lie. Now, that's strong language. But this is God speaking to His people. Brethren, let us hear Him. Let's not turn away and say, Oh, these are hard words like Israel did to the prophets. The heart of one transformed by the Spirit of God says, Let the, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. The wise man loveth reproof. Lord, reprove us that we might learn how to bridle these tongues. Secondly, let us consider the subject of the warning. 
<clears throat> if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart. As already said here, Christians are to be doers of the word. And brother, let me say something here. Now, I don't say this to be harsh, and I don't say it to be critical. It's, it's easy to get up in a pulpit and, and, and do that. And, and this is not what I'm attempting to do. But there are times when we must take on popular isms of our day. And, and uh, perhaps this is not true of the circles you've grown up in, but many of the ones uh, that I have grown up in, I've heard something like this. Ah, the old covenant is about doing, and the new covenant is all about believing. The old covenant is just about doing. And that's legal, and that's law, and that's bad. And the new covenant is just all about believing. And that's grace, and that's good. Brethren, that, said that way, sounds wonderful, but it is unbiblical. People that will not sit and take the Word of God and with prayer, wisdom, and discernment challenge those snappy and quick sayings often repeat those things with great fervor and yet un, uh, utterly unaware often that they are speaking a lie. It sounds good. It sounds gracious. But brethren, if, you're to t if you would simply take your concordance and study through Paul's epistles alone, you would be astounded at how often he tells us to do things. Do. And James is saying here, that we are to be doers of the Word. This is not legalism. This is loving obedience by regenerate hearts. It's not something done to be made righteous. It is something we do because God in His mercy has declared us righteous. And therefore, if we are in fact regenerate, we will be doers of the Word and not simply hearers only. So, Christians are to be doers of the Word as the Lord Jesus Christ taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not. For it was founded upon the rock. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ commending for doing what He says. He says, here is a strong house. What characterizes that strong house? Loving obedience to the wise things Christ has commanded. Verse 25. Or excuse me, verse... 26, and every man that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. James echoes that teaching right here. Don't simply be a hearer. Be a doer. And he presses us on here to this idea of doing in the context of bridling 
that tongue. Let's consider what he means by bridling the tongue for a few minutes. A wild, unbridled horse turns and runs any way his passions drive him. A bridle is a contraption made with leather straps and a bit that goes into the horse's mouth and reins that we pull on. Right? I trust everyone's at least ridden a horse once. If you hadn't, haven't, perhaps you have seen others ride a horse. But here's this strong, beautiful, powerful creature. But left to himself, he'll run wild. But he can be guided by a bridle. James goes on later in chapter 2 to give us more teaching about this. But simply to say at this point, we're being instructed by the Holy Ghost to get a hold of the wild horse of our tongues and bridle that thing in so that we can turn it this way and that way. And notice that he does say, we're to do the bridling. This is something that we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bridle brings a horse under control and direction of the rider. And this is the picture that is set before us. By nature, our tongues are like these wild stallions, running as long and hard as they want and in any direction they want. Listen to some of the descriptions from God's Word of the tongue. Every single one of these was taken from the Scriptures, and I edited this list down just so it wouldn't be too long. Crafty tongue, flattering tongue, mischievous tongue, vain tongue, proud tongue, deceitful tongue, lying tongue, false tongue, froward, that means perverse, not doing what it was made to do, froward tongue, naughty tongue. And then the word perverse is actually applied to the word tongue. Backbiting tongue. That's a big item. Raging tongue. The Bible speaks of the scourge of the tongue. The strife of tongues. The tongue is a fire and unruly evil. Full of deadly poison. Those who wet their tongue like a sword. Those who set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Those who speak like the piercings of a sword and it declares that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And is it any wonder that God's holy word tells us that we need to keep a tight rein on that little member? I will tell you, as far as my experience goes, the number one destroyer of marriages and of all other relationships is the tongue. A husband who cannot bridle his tongue.
towards his wife, a wife that cannot bridle her tongue toward her husband, parents that cannot bridle their tongues toward their children, brethren, at least professing brethren, that cannot bridle their tongues as they labor together day by day or as they get off in their little pockets and destroy and assassinate those that they sit in the assembly with and go, Amen. Hi, brother, how are you doing? And they go home and they've torn them up in the car before they ever even got home. We need nothing less than a miracle. And that is the miracle of the new birth and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us put the bridle on the wild stallion of our tongues. While much is made of speaking in tongues today, I know very few who bridle the, the one tongue that they have to speak in the one language that they know. James goes on to tell us in chapter 3, verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. The word perfect there means a man who is mature. A man who has come to a spiritual maturity. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. He says, if you have the grace and have walked in the mercy and the kindness of Christ and grown in His Spirit and left the things of spiritual infancy and grown to be a man in Christ and can live day by day without offending by your tongue, you've learned to rein in all the other lusts. And I think more than likely the reason he says that is because there's probably no more difficult one for us to get a hold of than this one. The power of the tongue. There's more said in the Word of God about the tongue than there is adultery. There's more said about the tongue than almost any other sin by my count. And I could be wrong. As one man says, the government of the tongue is a task so difficult that he who has the grace to accomplish it has grace to accomplish anything. He not only says that we're to bridle our tongues for these reasons, but he says that the man that does not do so is deceiving his own heart. The subject of this warning not only points to what we should do, but points to the dangerous condition of the man who will not do so. We're not doers of the word if we don't bridle our tongues. Whatever else we may be able to say, whatever astounding spiritual experiences we may attempt to display before others or even before the heavens, brethren, if you have not bridled your tongue, you are deceiving yourself about your walk with Christ. And that is not my word. That is His. Every
everything about us, dear children of God, beginning with me and everyone else here, everything about us, about me, is to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And while many of us put up some sort of a fight against immorality, stealing, murder, unlawful violence, rarely have I ever seen much struggle with the tongue. Thankfully, I can say that there are some saints over the years that I've seen weep and, and plead in a prayer meeting. Brethren, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm wrestling with my tongue. I'm trying to get my tongue in a way that will honor Christ. But that's been extremely rare. I hear men say, Oh, you know, pray for me. I'm, I'm wrestling with lust. Or pray for me. I'm, I'm wrestling with covetousness. And these things are real and they're true. I'm not diminishing them. But rarely have I heard anyone say, Oh, I'm wrestling with this little member. I think it is because many of us do not realize the extraordinary importance that the Word of God puts on that little member. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Oh, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. The psalmist says in, in verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 9, Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. He says, Now don't you be like some old donkey. It's got to be all reined in. Psalm 39, verse 1 says, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Husbands, is it not true? You may never have raised your hand to your wife. I hope it's not the case as it certainly has been my Unfortunate experience to counsel over the years. There are many a husband who beats his wife black and blue with his tongue. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How should a tongue like that sound? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. How should a tongue like that sound? Brothers, love one another as I have loved you. How should that sound? Well, we have to read Christ's life to know how that sounds, don't we? We have to see how He speaks to us from His Word, by His Spirit. How He spoke to His own dear associates. Yes, there's a time to rebuke. There's a time to reprove. There's a time to encourage. There's a time to build, in fact, reproof done right. Builds the soul. I've seen a lot of people get on that stuff of rebuke and go, yeah, rebuke. The Bible says rebuke. And the next thing you know, <laughs> they've reduced everybody in the building. 
That's not spiritual either. Then there are the others that just say, well, just don't ever say anything negative. Don't say anything that bothers anybody. Don't say anything that hurts anybody. That's a lie too. There were times when Christ had to say, I will tell you who to fear. You had best fear Him that can destroy body and soul in hell. There's a time for speaking strong. A time for speaking gently. It's all got to be reined in with a bridle. Informed by the Word of God. And controlled by the gracious Spirit of the Almighty. Well, this is the subject of the warning. Let us bridle our tongue and not deceive ourselves. Let's give just a few minutes to our last head here, the objective of the warning. All right, now, is this just legalistic ranting here? <laughs> do this, do this, do that, do that. We don't want a Christianity that's just rules and regulations. But brethren, these are clear, clear commands from our Heavenly Lord. You see, James says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. It's vain. Those words are piercing to me. I don't know if they do anything to you, but... They're piercing to me. This man's profession and his attendance upon holy service is worthless. It's vain. It's empty. He doesn't say that the man's religion is in need of a little repair, a little tweaking. He doesn't say that he's a little off-center. He doesn't say, oh, he's just having a bad day. He says his religion is vain. That his attendance upon the worship of God is worthless. Why? Because first of all, it means he's a non-doer of the Word. Secondly, it means he's a deceived man. He says, yes, oh, I believe in Christ. Oh, amazing grace. Oh, how sweet the sound. I love all that. That's great. I love it. See in heaven, see at the throne. And yet his life, day by day, is a trail of verbal mayhem. Criticizing here, destroying and assassinating a character there. Backbiting, spreading rumors. Using the tongue so that when people look at a particular fellow or, or, or sister, they can't think right about him anymore. Using the tongue to wither and blister and destroy wives, children, husbands. The Lord Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. 
For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. In this a man lives in the horrible darkness of self-deception. He believes himself right with God while all along he's in the bondage of his own wicked heart and his mouth is saying it all the time. He's in bondage. He isn't Christ's free man. He's in the chains of his own lusts because his mouth speaks of a heart that is not controlled by the Spirit. Angry words speak of a murderous heart. Lascivious words speak of a perverse, filthy, lustful heart. Covetous words speak of a greedy, grasping heart. And on it goes. He's a man in need of Christ. Because Christ, the Lord Jesus, is the glorious model of what the tongue was made to be. He knew when to reprove. He knew when to be quiet. He knew when to encourage. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. My Father has given me a command what to say and what to do. That's what I do. I don't speak without Him guiding me. I don't do without Him guiding me. Here's our model. The man who deceives himself is in desperate need of the Christ who gives a gracious tongue. Because Christ Himself is the very expression of the grace of God. He is the Word of God to man. When God spoke His mind to man, the most perfect expression of it is Jesus Christ. Christ gives a new heart. Christ gives direction by His Spirit and His Word. Christ cleanses all of our sins, including the sins of our tongues. Christ works within us to will and to do of His good pleasure. You come to me and say, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling this tongue, this little member, it sets incredible flames of fire and blazes and forest fires. Oh, it's terrible. It's like a flamethrower. Oh, I'm seeking Christ. Help me. Pray for me. I'm encouraged for someone there. It's the bold, self-centered, self-righteous, backbiting, religious tongue that makes me tremble. James gave us a warning. How do you use your tongue? It not only tells us who we are to each other, it reveals before God whether or not He's given us a gracious heart. Brethren, where we sin with our tongue, let us be quick to repent. That's a good use of the tongue. Sweetheart, I came home. I was in a foul mood. I spoke to you in a way that dishonored the Lord and broke your heart. 
Forgive me. Children, I came home. I had something to do. I was selfish in doing my own little thing and you kept interrupting. And I beat you to the ground with my tongue. Will you forgive Daddy? Brother, I've had an intense week. I've had incredible things going on. I'm, I'm irritable. I'm, I'm chafing. And I've just barked at you. Will you forgive me? It only takes a minute to repent. Oh, what a good use of the tongue. That sounds like a bridal tongue. We're not going to have perfect tongues. But as we grow in Christ, we will speak those things that edify even good rebuke, even good reproof. And when in those moments of our flesh we fail, nothing speaks more clearly of a gracious heart than quick repentance. The Christian life is one of loving obedience to the gracious God who loved us and saved us. Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's be doers of the Word. Let's cry out to the God of all grace to help us bridle our tongues and magnify that saving grace. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying His word, 
they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.